0: That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome
1: to the Cybertraps podcast. I am Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, founder of the uh, podcast Transformative Principal and author of the books School X and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I am a former principal myself, all levels of K-12 education. Greetings everyone, I'm Frederick Lane, author, attorney, and
2: educational consultant based in Portland and the author of 10 books, including most recent Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyber Ethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from
1: the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. And I will
2: bring myself around to the mission statement, Jethro, (laughs) and we'll do that. So the Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute, dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy.
1: All right, welcome to the show today. We have Greg Burr and Ryan. I don't even know how to say your last name, so I'll let (laughs) you say it correctly for me.
3: My name is Ryan Ridzeski, and I've heard that name in every possible iteration.
1: Okay, Ryan Ridzeski. You'll get a mostly correct one on this one. All right, let me start over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to the Cybertraps podcast today. We have Greg Burr and Ryan Ridzeski uh, on the show. They're the authors of the book, When You Wonder, You're Learning. Um, and you can check them out at whenyouwonder.org. Greg and Ryan, welcome to the podcast today. And uh, I want to take a minute first, and you introduce something new to me called the uh, 143 Day. I had no idea what that was, so can you explain that, what we celebrated last week? That's right. Happy 143 Day, which is a
4: day we can experience any day of the year, but especially on May 23rd in any given year. So May 23rd happens to be the 143rd day of the year. Why is that important? Well, it was important to Fred Rogers, the number 143, because there's one letter in I, four letters in love, and three letters in you. And so 143 was Fred Rogers code for conveying that I love you sensibility to whomever it was in his life. And some years ago, the state of Pennsylvania began to celebrate 143 day on May 23rd in the state of Pennsylvania, because Fred is our our hometown neighbor here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And you can imagine whether it's one, four, three day in PA or just one, four, three day, how this has taken off in social media because it's a celebration of Fred Rogers legacy. And it's a reminder to all of us of the goodness and the kindness that we can make happen in our own neighborhoods, wherever we might live, whether it's in Pennsylvania or California, Massachusetts, or all sorts of places in between. So one, four, three day is something that all of us can celebrate annually and stir up the spirit of Fred Rogers and the nostalgia and love that we have for Fred as part of our childhood and make it part of our lives now as adults.
2: Now, this is very cool, Greg. Let me ask the two of you, how did you guys come to a Fred project like this? I mean, obviously he's an iconic figure, but you guys are doing something really interesting with his legacy. So what brought you to him?
3: Well, the first thing that brought us to him was being Fred's actual neighbor. So Greg and I are both children of, of Western Pennsylvania. So just like Fred himself, who was born about 40 miles outside of Pittsburgh and then lived the bulk of his life just down the road from where we're where we're sitting now. Um, so we have that emotional connection to Fred that so many people around the world share, but especially here in Pittsburgh, it was it was very much Mr. Rogers' real life neighborhood. That's very cool. <laughs> the second thing was, you know. Greg and I have the honor and the privilege of of working for the Grable Foundation, which is a foundation in Pittsburgh that supports schools and libraries and museums and all sorts of places where children and families learn. And part of our work for the Grable Foundation is translating what are, you know, what are we learning about learning itself and how do we translate in ways that are practical and applicable and useful for the people that the foundation is supporting out in the field? And so in digging into the learning sciences you know, a field that now includes everything from behavioral science to neuroscience, economics, artificial intelligence, and all these other things, we realized again and again that when you talk to some of the top teachers and talk to some of the top learning scientists, they're talking in very Fred-like ways, right? (laughs) We expected a lot of science speak to see a lot of charts and graphs and some really technical pedagogical stuff. But really, they're asking questions like, how do we make sure kids feel safe? How do we make sure kids feel like they belong to a community that cares about them? Um, How do we make sure that they feel, as Fred liked to say, that they are loved and capable of loving? And so Greg and I, in in reading all these papers coming out of of places here in Pittsburgh, but also further afield, and going to learning science conferences and sitting down with some of the most brilliant learning scientists on the planet, they sounded to us like script writers in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, <laughs> And that's when we realized, okay, well, I think maybe we have a book idea on our hands uh, because we know a lot about Fred Rogers, the man, right? We've, we have a biography out there. You've probably seen Morgan Neville's amazing documentary. There was, of course, the Tom Hanks movie. We know and revere Fred the person but what's often overlooked is Fred the scientist, Fred the learning scientist, and in so many ways, Fred was a scientist who was who was decades ahead of his time.
1: So let me ask this question because he was decades ahead of his time. Right now, those questions that are people are asking seem very pertinent to what we're experiencing. Um, what was it about his approach or his way of doing things that made him realize that was important And do you think that people have adapted from that or have they come to the same conclusion from a different perspective? Well, it's important to note that for Fred, it was no accident, Uh right? Because
4: as someone who recognized he wanted to use the technology of television, the technology of his day to minister to children, it was some of his teachers who said, well, you better study child development theory and practice. And that's how we ended up at a place called the Arsenal Children and Family Center right here in Pittsburgh. Now, that's a really pivotal moment in Fred's growth and, and his own understanding of, of what today we would call the learning science, the sciences, because back then, he was at a place called Arsenal where, oh, there happened to be Benjamin Spock, the pediatrician who wrote Baby and Child Care, the second best selling book in American history, right?
2: I was was, raised on that book. (laughs)
4: Exactly, right? Like the book is in your home. It's in your aunt's home. It's in your grandparents' home. That book is ubiquitous. So Benjamin Spock was there. There was also Eric Erickson, whose work around identity development is so pivotal in child development theory and practice of the 20th century. And there was also Margaret McFarland, who was a psychiatrist at the University of Pittsburgh, among other people. So Fred, by the happenstance of something wonderful, was at this place where a Mount Rushmore of child development theorists and practitioners happened to be. And so he learned from them in that setting and applied what he was learning in what we all came to know as Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It was in the wardrobe, it was in the lyrics, it was in everything that he did. And he made it so seamless that we didn't recognize it. And that's what we've tried to unpack um, in our book. And the second thing I would note is Joanne Rogers, who wrote the foreword to our, our book. Joanne Rogers is Mrs. Rogers herself, like who knew Fred Rogers better than than Joanne did. And she wrote in that forward that no one practiced being Fred Rogers more than Fred Rogers himself. And it's a reminder of the practice of being deliberate and intentional about creating the atmospheres for learning in whatever learning setting we might be, whether it's our own homes, Maybe it's on a multimedia TV series on PBS <laughs> like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Maybe it's in a library, a museum, or a school. The ways that we can be deliberate and intentional and apply what we're learning about learning that create those atmospheres for learning that really support our young people in extraordinary ways. And that's what Fred did through what we call the Fred Method. I'm intrigued by your comment that he
2: was really grasping at the technology of his time yeah. in order to bring together... These principles of child development and a communication medium, yes, that would help convey the message. And you know, I note that he died in 2003, which is really before the mobile phone era and social media. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on how he would have responded to those technologies into this moment, or is there the possibility that the technology would have been bigger even than him in terms of of conveying his message?
3: Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I don't know, We people ask us all the time, like what would Fred say about, about TikTok or what would Fred say about <laughs> Facebook? And the truth is we don't know, but we do know what he was doing toward the end of his life as some of this technology of least was coming online. So Fred, Fred had an AOL email address Uh, Fred was, he was online and actually toward his retirement, one of the things he really wanted to sit down and do is spend more time on email, which is interesting because if you go to the Fred Rogers archive uh, in Latrobe, it's on the campus of St. Vincent College, there are 40 years worth of correspondence in this, this dull, unremarkable room, just full of boxes. But these boxes are full of letters from kids and from adults going all the way back to the 1960s. Fred answered every letter that came to his desk. In some cases, that was 50 to 100 letters a day. But he loved it. You know, That was his feedback, right? Because it's the only way he was communicating with an audience he couldn't see or hear. It's the only way he knew whether he was connecting. And he certainly was connecting. So he was interested in new ways, new modes, new technologies for doing that toward the end of his life. I do think there are lots of folks doing Fred-like things today, like how how can we do what Fred did and take these technologies that can easily be used to demean other people, which is exactly what Fred saw the first time he ever turned on the TV. He saw people throwing pies in each other's faces. He hated it. But he ran into the fire, so to speak, and he found how can we use this in ways that are good and attractive and grounded in uh, solid child development science. We see lots of folks doing similar things today. I don't know that there is necessarily one Fred-like figure that we can point to, but there are lots of folks doing Fred-like things on TikTok or on Instagram or or on Twitter. And there are lots of organizations that are trying to curate those efforts um, for parents and teachers and trying to show, "Here's, here's media that is of the quality, that is of the standards that Fred himself was so strict about upholding. And Fred, just, you know, it's so interesting to think about
4: Fred as the technologist, right? You go back yeah. to the, yeah. the 1960s and you, you think, of, I mean, we don't think about Fred as the geek, as the innovator, mm-hmm. but what he saw in television was something that was attractive mm-hmm. to young people. And he said, well, how do I make what's attractive to young people good and constructive? And while we would resist and and couldn't possibly get into the head of what Fred might be today, he would notice what is attractive to young people and he'd be challenging us all to think how do I make this good and constructive. So whether it's AR or VR or all sorts of social media platforms he'd be challenging us to say, this is what the kids are doing, this is what's attracting them, how do we make this good. I, I think that's a brilliant point, and it's it's giving me so much
2: to think about, guys. I mean, just in the 15 or 20 minutes we've been talking because you know, this was a relatively central figure of my childhood. And now, as an adult, it's fascinating to reframe him and look at him through a different lens. And I, I think the point that you're making is particularly salient in terms of the cyber ethical work that Jethro and I are doing because, so much, it seems to me, of modern programming and coding is designed to attract children in, shall we say, very non-Fred ways. Yes. And so I think that the message you're providing is that there are other ways to think about this that could be much more constructive. And, and we need people to present that challenge to the coders, the technologists, the massive publishers, so that it's more on their radar than it appears to be.
4: Oh, absolutely. Right. And so whether you're working on algorithms for Google or building educational video games for shell games right here in Pittsburgh or doing all sorts of things that, you know many of us don't understand and are just sort of in our ether. And we have a responsibility. Fred issued that responsibility to put kids first and to think through how it is that we're creating those good and constructive atmospheres of learning for them. It's a, I think it's a big challenge for the technologists and the designers among us to heed and pay attention to the work of Fred Rogers.
1: You know, the thing that it makes me think about is one of the the episodes we did on here, we told people, especially young people who were on social media to not look for influencers, but to look for mentors that they could follow. And just in the past few months as I've been thinking about who I'm following on social media, I've been trying to use that filter of who would I want to mentor me? And so if I want them to mentor me, then I should follow them. And I think that that reframing some of those things is, I think, really valuable. How do you get those concepts out to a bigger audience like Fred did through television? How do you get those concepts of thinking of the good uses first? out to the masses what's your strategy and idea there hmm. Well Ryan that's partly why we've read a book right
3: <laughs> <laughs> Ryan well look. that is
2: a that is a good segue so talk us through the book idea <laughs> and process and we'll go from there
3: <laughs> uh, so the process of actually putting the book together Yeah Well don't dodge so- my question here hold
2: on <laughs> No
3: I'm not well- going to let that happen
2: We'll loop back, but okay. let's, let's, let's but, talk but, about but the But Actually, topic. this is a really important question
4: and, it, and it's important to understand too. This is why there are so many people who can and should carry the legacy of Fred Rogers forward. I think of the work of Fred Rogers Productions here in Southwestern Pennsylvania. Now, once again, the, 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 the largest producer of children's multimedia on PBS. You think about PBS and all of those 300 plus PBS affiliates across the country and the work that they're doing with media technologists and producers in all sorts of corners of this country. I think about the work of the Fred Rogers Institute at St. Vincent College, and the ways in which they're connecting with industry, with educators, with early childhood educators and others. To say nothing of national associations like the National Education for Young Children and other organizations, there are so many people who in a continuous movement building way need to not only build upon Fred's legacy, but take that Fred legacy forward. We need to take Fred forward in all sorts of ways and understand his work and
1: how he did it. And it is partly why Ryan and I co-authored this book. So what, what I hear you saying then, Greg, is that whatever it is that you have, you should just take that forward and put that out there and share that with the world. And if you're affiliated or associated with other people who are doing the same thing, then great. But if not, still continue doing that. We've got to lift those examples up. And that's one of the things that Ryan and I have
4: been so lucky to do is, um, you know, as we're meeting with educators and librarians and technologists and others, designers, trying to give real life examples to all of us of the ways in which we can apply what we learned from Fred in very modern contexts. And we do that um, in our book. We're able to do that in presentations, and and we do need to lift up those examples in very practical, meaningful, and replicable ways.
3: One of the more um, most rewarding aspects of, of sharing this book with people around the world has been when suddenly, like they light up and be like, oh, well, here I'm doing X, Y, Z thing. They're doing very Fred-like things. They hadn't necessarily thought about it that way before. You know, somebody described our book as going to church. He said, you you go to church not to learn new things, but to be reminded of what you already know. And I think one of the reasons why Fred is still so attractive to adults is that he does remind us in so many ways of of our own strengths. He helps reflect our own strengths back to us. We say like, oh, I could do that. We're all capable of that well-timed embrace or, or just being there for somebody who needs it. We're all capable of these very Fred-like things. And when you realize um, that what those things were, their place in Fred's toolkit, we become more conscious of those good things we're already doing. And when we, we become more conscious of them, then we can then do more of them wherever we are and whoever we happen to be with.
1: Yeah, that's good. Okay, that was a satisfactory answer. We can move <laughs> on to the, to the next question. Fred, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, no, I, I, I think it is very important. And I, I was driving at the, the development of the book, right? Because you're bringing together two things that are not necessarily linked in the public mind, which is the persona of this gentle, kind individual and these concepts of, of childhood development and learning. So that's the piece as, as a writer myself and, and obviously Jethro's as well. That's the piece I'm curious about. What, what did you go through in order to bring those two pieces together? And what should your audience expect to take away from that?
3: <laughs> what did you go through is a very interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, lots we get it. We've been there. lots. Yeah, you know. Fred, Fred himself used to call it the agony of creation. Sometimes it's just really, really hard. But... Yeah it was also it was most simultaneously the most challenging and most fun project I've ever worked on. And it was especially fun because, like I mentioned earlier, as we started learning about learning itself and, and started sort of tuning into the learning sciences and finding out, reading all these new papers coming out and going into all these interesting lectures, what we could then do is take what we heard there or take what we read there and then sit down and watch an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And you see Fred doing these things in every single episode. You can pick any frame, you know, almost 900 episodes the guy made. You can pick almost any frame. And once you understand the science behind it, it becomes so clear why he's doing what he's doing. And so the process really became like, okay, let's find the best possible example uh, of Fred nurturing curiosity. Or let's find the best possible example of Fred protecting children's creativity. And so we watched, I don't know how many episodes, but we found all these little moments of Fred doing exactly what today's scientists are recommending today. We saw Fred doing that 50 years ago in the neighborhood. And often, you know, when you watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, just sort of as as a lay person, as someone who doesn't understand this stuff, some. The choices he makes can seem, frankly, pretty strange. Kids don't seem to question it. Adults seem to wonder, well, why would Fred do that thing? I'm starting to understand the learning sciences unlocked all those mysteries for us. Everything Mm -hmm. Fred was doing clearly had a purpose. Everything Fred was doing was clearly grounded in science. And he was really, he was a practitioner. He bridged theory and practice in ways that were not only accessible, but they were attractive. He makes it entertaining. He makes it so entertaining that you don't even know that the science is there.
2: That's like the best teaching, right? I mean, a really good teacher will
3: make that seamless. Exactly. The best teachers, the best designers, the best writers, the best musicians, the thing they all have in common is that they make it look easy. And no one made it look easier than Fred. But when you realize the work that went into that, you know, to make 900 episodes and to have every frame be grounded in some sort of scientific principle or intention, the layers and layers of work and revision um, that went into creating what looks like a simple children's television program, uh, even today, it continues to astound us. And Fred, and you asked about
4: expectations, just to put it briefly, if you yeah. look at the six chapters of our book. And Ryan mentioned the word curiosity. So chapter one is about curiosity. Then we move to creativity, collaboration, and the like. So each chapter of the book will bring you emotionally back to a place in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Maybe it was like you, Fred, and you watched every episode uh, you know, growing up. Or maybe you're not familiar with the neighborhood at all. We ground you in a story, taking you to King Friday the 13th or Daniel Tiger. And then, ideally, in incredibly readable ways, take these papers from MIT and Carnegie Mellon University and other places where great learning scientists uh, are doing extraordinary work, make it very readable, make the connection right back to Fred and what Fred was doing, but then take it forward in all sorts of examples in a school, a museum, a library, And then close each chapter by the things that you and I and others can do, maybe right in our own home, right in our own neighborhood, wherever we might be, Um, not uh, the sort of prescriptive things as if I'm a perfect parent and Ryan's a perfect teacher, far from it, Um, but examples that we've curated from around the world um, in this course of researching this book of of ways, very practically, that people are applying Fred-like approaches Mm -hmm. in their own lives.
2: It sounds... I have to say just your description is, is terrific. I mean, it sounds really wonderful and and honestly heartwarming in terms of the ability to perpetuate the values that he brought to his show. It actually reminds me of a book I remember reading in high school that had some vague similarities called the parables according to peanuts. (laughs) And Charles Schultz infused a lot of his peanuts cartoons with these sort of religious principles but you don't see them and they're kind of woven into the stories of the characters in the comic strip and yeah just that flashed into my head but I am really looking forward to reading this book
3: thank you thank you for saying that I I, I do sort of see the Charles Schultz um, connection you know beneath Mm -hmm. Peanuts there is a sort of architecture of of morality or, or philosophy or, or whatever you want to call it right and right. that really does you see that same thing in the neighborhood um, the consistency of it the um, the generosity of it really comes through and as you sit down to w- rewatch the neighborhood as an adult which I recommend for any adult because it's just a, a fascinating yeah. experience it just hits you on a whole nother level And he becomes not only this person who made us feel good as children, he becomes a sort of lighthouse figure for adults, someone we can look to for guidance and not necessarily mimic, but someone who we can take cues from, you know, in our own lives and in our own ways and with the people that we
1: have. So I'm glad you brought that up because I have not watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood since I was a child. Um, but after I became a teacher and was raising my own kids, I learned about the show, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And I watched a couple episodes of that with my kids. And I, I was amazed at how, how much of the learning sciences stuff I had learned was in that show. And so now I'm curious to go back and watch Mr. Roger's Neighborhood and transport myself back to those days when I was a kid and saw it then and, and see what that's like. So I'm gonna go watch a couple episodes. Thanks for that encouragement.
4: Or you can catch, <laughs> Dan, you know, the, I love that you mentioned Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood
1: produced by Fred Rogers
4: Productions. Some mm-hmm. of the same people that worked with Fred beginning on a production back in 1968 are still involved as advisors to the Fred Rogers Productions. And there's a whole new generation of folks creating extraordinary children's media. And there's a deliberate and intentional approach to their work. And it's a reminder of, of really the neighborhood that built Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. That it wasn't Fred alone, but an entire group of people who were translating great learning science into an extraordinary magical television program.
3: And, and I'll just, since we're on the subject, I'll just add one thing. So for your holdouts who don't wanna go back and watch Mr. Rogers, and aren't gonna go watch Daniel Tiger, It has been really fascinating for Greg and I to talk about this book to people in other countries, because the reach of the neighborhood really was limited to the U.S. and parts of Canada. A lot of folks, if if they know Fred outside the U.S., they're sort of passingly familiar, but they don't quite grasp his place in our culture. And it's been so fascinating to realize that the ideas in the book, even if the readers aren't familiar with Fred, if they don't have that emotional connection that we grew up with, The ideas still resonate. And I think that's because Fred was such a student of of philosophy and and really of people. The ideas are, are, if not universal, he speaks to something that all of us share. And so recently we were helping to teach a class in Argentina and they called us and they're like, hey, can you just basically describe your book for us? But don't mention Fred because most people here don't know who he is. And so the, the science and the methods that Fred used are applicable and attractive and useful, even on the off chance that you're not a fan of Fred. (laughs) On the very (laughs) rare off chance. So, you at least least for a person, right? (laughs) At at
2: least for our audience.
1: (laughs) Okay. Last question, whole child plus learning sciences equals what? And then expand on it a little bit. Yeah. We like to use this simple equation. So it's the Fred method. If we think about
4: Fred's work, phrases that we use now aren't phrases they used 50 years ago, but one is the sensibility of, of cultivating the academic, social, and cognitive growth of, of children, really understanding the, the complexity of every singular human being. That's, that's whole child work. And then the learning sciences, simply put, is what we're learning about learning itself and how humans learn best. And so if we think about whole child plus learning science, that's what Fred Rogers did, the Fred method. And he combines those things
1: in a truly beautiful way. Yeah. I appreciate you summing that up for us today. This has been a great conversation. Greg and Ryan, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome.
3: Thank you so thank much you for having you. Us.
1: Thank you, Fred.
2: That wraps up this episode of the pod tra- of the cyber traps podcast In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the
1: rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. Please share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have guest question or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this. Please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast service. We appreciate having you here with
0: us and we will see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments?